You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. This last Sunday, I just want to take advantage of this last Sunday, as you guys have taken advantage to be here. I don't want to waste this Sunday. Um, And I actually read through the entire letter of Philippians. It's not a long book, but if you've ever read it before, it's a really encouraging book. Um, And Matt, can I get you to, I'm so sorry, I don't want to get feedback on this microphone to grab my uh, laptop in there. Um, and so, um, and so the, the, the key word that I want to look at today in the entire book of Philippians is this word rejoice. Can you say rejoice with me? Um, uh, you know, in our, in our country, there are people that are, you know, Democrats and Republicans, and there's people that are undecided. And, uh, and that just means, I suppose, that they're watching the TV and they're waiting for the verdict to figure out which candidate they're going to vote for. And um, how many of you guys know that the word rejoice pops up several times in Philippians, and it's not it's not a suggestion. It's not just an invitation. It's a command to rejoice. He says it many times to rejoice. And again, I command you to rejoice. And so um, let me get my password in here. Uh, let's get going. But, um, but when I was, um, uh, you know, when I was, when I was young, I was, I, was, I was babied by my mom because uh, my mom's a single mom, so she didn't have anything else to do but dote on me. And I'm also a, a single child. And so ladies, if you um, don't want to marry a baby, uh, don't marry a single, an only child. Uh, only child, children are, are, are grown up like they hung the moon, and uh, they're just babied, and I loved being babied. I, I don't know about you, but I, I just, I love it. Sometimes I just like to be sick so that I can complain a lot and get Kyra to bring me popsicles and Gatorade, and I pretend like uh, it's, I'm being a martyr, but really I enjoy it quite a bit. It's good to have people that, that love you, and it's, it's good to have people paying attention to you. And so um, I, I have noticed this. Kyra could have a full-on nausea fit. She's pregnant. She's got four kids and she's trucking on through. And I don't know what that is. It's the will of the mom to barrel through walls and and love to run through those types of obstacles. But not me, man. I love to be a baby and just cry. And I'm a little bit nauseous. I'll just be like, I'm dying. It's over. Tell Matt to preach on Sunday. It's not going to happen. Is how I handle handle my man colds. Um, But but you know, like, um, you know, trials uh, sometimes are easier. If you've ever noticed, sometimes it's easier to go through trials because in trials, you actually have typically more support around you and less expectations. Um, we like, in some ways, trials. Uh, it's sometimes easier to have trials on the outside than storms on the inside. Uh, actually, some people, you'll notice, whether because of codependency or dysfunction, actually like to be in trials because it helps them feel and understand uh, the problems that are around them rather than having to deal with the problems that, that are inside of them. I, I used to have students in my class, and they loved when there was like a fight or something that would break out or some drama. You know, anybody have drama? You know people that love drama? They start drama. They can't wait. If there's a little bit of peace anywhere, they just start drama up because it's like life isn't happening if there's not drama. Um, Because they know that when there's drama in the classroom, they're not accountable to the work. They know when there's drama and disruption, it means they don't have to actually take the next step and push forward into their own struggles because they have a projection, an excuse of why they're not having to be accountable to their work. And so um, I think it's a human thing. I think it's a human thing that we like to have uh, storms around us sometimes because it keeps us unaccountable to the storms within us. I think there's people that starts fight, start fights so there can be a violence around them so that they don't have to deal with the violence inside of them. And they actually do better in a fight time than a, than a peace time because it's in the peace time that they realize that the quiet around them makes the, the violence and the loudness inside of them louder. And so, um, and so I think we all, I think we all um, to one degree or another, you know, tend, contend with this. It, it's, it's a storm 
that comes on the outside. And when it quiets, we realize the storm on the inside. And so I've been hearing this a lot, you know, like there's almost this on the tip of our tongue, you know, it's like, well, figures this would happen. It's just 2020. You know what I mean? I'll figures like, you know, it's just, it's just 2020. It's, it's an election year. And, you know, this COVID thing's crazy. And the race thing is crazy. And, and all this stuff is just up in arms. And there's, and there's this hidden, I think, projection that because of the things that are going on, the storms that are going on in 2020 on the outside, there's this excuse of why I'm not dealing with the storms that are going on inside. And can, can I say this in, in the least preachy, hopefully most encouraging way that I think agrees with the Bible is that um, I think that Paul and the scriptures would tell us this morning that if we lost our peace in 2020, we actually never had it. If we lost our peace because of something that happened in 2020, we never had it in the beginning, in the first place. And, and so um, I, think, I think, you know, something, I think that what's at hand, you know, this morning and even the next couple of days, and some guys are goal setters, some of you guys run from goals and run to goals, and I don't think that the Bible's saying either way on that. I think what the Bible is demanding is the way you close up 2020 will infer on the way you open 21. The way you end your year uh, and look back on the last year will deeply impact the way you, you, you swing out and lead forward and look forward into the next year. And so the Bible says it's not a suggestion, it's a command, rejoice. It's your job, it's your task, and it's imperative that you figure out a way by the end of this calendar year to rejoice about that year. Because if you sow anxiety into 2020, you're going to bring anxiety into 21. And so joy is a choice. So that's the decision you have. And what's the decision that you're going to make? Uh, uh, this, is, this, is what, this is what Paul talks about. So, so let me just give you the, the outline. And uh, you could read it in 20 minutes. Philippians is a letter written by Paul to the church in Philippi. It's a Roman city that is, uh, you know, heavily persecuted against Christians, like most of the places Paul is, and that's why he's in the jail, and that's why he could be executed. And, um, and Paul, as he, as he begins the letter and moves towards the end of it, he makes this very important conclusion, is that um, actually the, the fact that he is in chains, uh, and Paul calls this being in chains for Christ is the way that Paul puts it in, in chapter 1, is actually not a detour, but a destination. When I'm giving you this message and I'm talking to you, um, you're getting the words that are coming out of my mouth, but you're also getting me. Like you're getting the Sunday after Sunday, 52 weeks a year of me talking, and you know my story, my kids. And so when I'm talking, it'd be quite different than if Sharon were to get up here and talk and say the same exact words, it could mean something completely different because the medium is the message. You're hearing my story because I'm a six-foot Asian person with four kids and you know some of my story and my single mom, blah, 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 blah. You know, like, you're, it's not just the message, it's the medium. And Paul is realizing that there's, there, is a, uh, there is a setup going on in his letter and he's re- realizing that the, the fact that he's in that jail is not a tangent, it's actually the point of the entire message. And so what you have in there is, is a picture. It's a picture of Jesus, of, of, of somebody in the middle of a prison rejoicing. It's not just a letter that's just for doctrine. You're not supposed to peel through it and just figure out what the 15 points about suffering are and how that lines up with depravity or something like that. You're supposed to see a person in tears writing a letter to a church. And you're supposed to see a person who is able to, in the middle of storms, in the middle of chaos, in the middle of a prison, finding rejoicing and demanding that peace is not just up there, it's down here. And peace is a choice. And joy is a choice. And so... Uh, and th- this, is, uh, this is what I'll put on the screen here, is that peace is, this is, this is what we need to take, take away uh, from, the, from the letter of Philippians. 
the entire theme here is, is pretty much summed up in this, is that peace is not just something that's possible, but it's something that is commanded. And Paul is, is realizing, he's, he, you can see his line of thought. He's like, well, if I live this way, then that's a, that's a win because I'll get to preach the gospel. And, and, and actually, it's even, it's even better that I'm in this place because he says in the very beginning, there's a bunch of people that are stirring up trouble and preaching the gospel, what he says, calls for selfish gain. Like there's people that have agendas. There's people that want to make money and be famous. And there's people that like, you know, want to buddy up to you and, 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 and get you to like them because, you know, uh, sometimes, you know, the preaching circuit can be an ego circuit. And it feels good to say things and for the church to do this and that and for there to be a platform and so forth. And so Paul's like, you know what's a great platform to preach a pure gospel is not on a pulpit but in a prison because that's when it's going to be pure. That's when there's no agenda. So he's saying, if I live, that's a win because the gospel advances in a pure way with no agenda, no strings and no hidden agenda. And if I die, then I'm with Christ and so I win either way. And so there's a demand here. It's, 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 it's not just telling you what to do, but he says in two occasions, I want you to follow my example and I want you to join in my suffering because to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so it's this, I mean, it's just this own unavoidable thing that, that if, a, if, a, if a, a preacher can be in a prison and preach the gospel with joy and rejoicing, it demands that so could we in 2020 and beyond. And so this is what the theme is. So this is what Philippians 4 says, in verse 4 through 7, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. This is the closing chapter of the letter. He's kind of summarizing things. Let your gentleness be evident to all. He says, the Lord is near and do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all his understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, um, uh, in Messiah Jesus. And so there's three points I want you to take away from this message this morning. I'll just keep it real, real brief and real simple, but it's this. I think that the, the, the aspect of Paul being in a prison, writing a letter to the church in Philippi with great joy, having no needs, and learning how to be content in all circumstances, whether based, abound, hungry or full, high or low, it's a demand and a command from the gospel to say that peace is not something uh, that, that, um, uh, that is optional. Peace is something that is commanded. And so there's three things that I think that this letter will show you. And you can go ahead and read it and see all three themes. Number one, that peace comes from joy, and joy is a choice. It's not an accident. Joy is a decision. There are people that will have joy in 2021, and every single one of them did it because of decision, not by accident. There are people uh, that, that have joy in 2020, and if they have joy and they have peace, it's not because it's on accident, it just land on the doorstep. It's because they made a concerted effort and a decision this year to have joy and to guard their joy. Number two, the joy is just not some superfluous, um, you know, kind of pie-in-the-sky, optimistic, Pollyannic viewpoint. But joy is actually the truest thing. Joy is not just optimism, it's truth. And lastly, that joy is not just something to think about, but also something to do and something to practice. And so, um, and, and so this, is, this is the reality. We have an excuse for anxiety um, at every, every, torner, every corner, but we have an opportunity uh, for joy in every door. Uh, so when I was, uh, um, when I was young, one of the great things that my, um, my parents uh, handed down to me was the, uh, the, the practice of exercise. Um, my, uh, my mom and dad were not church growers. And so in many ways, my church, basically between uh, two and probably 15 when I started going to church, was at the track. And my dad would go out there in the shortest possible shorts you could ever wear without getting arrested and just sweat and run around and be uh, an Asian model. He looked good doing it. I got to confess, he's a, he's a muscular dude. And my mom would be out there, and she'd just track, and she'd pace, and they would just run and run and run. And, man, I would just watch them run in circles, and it was just so peaceful for me. 
It's so peaceful for me to see my parents be together. It's peaceful for me to see my parents be consistent, to be committed to goals. It was, it was, it was peaceful for me to see them come up against hard things of running, you know what I mean? And see that as a, as a physical and visual metaphor, to see that my parents endured things. That was important for me to see, see that happen. And even more than that, what I take away from that at, at 36 now, um, is that I have never gone a day in my life um, being intimidated by exercise. I've always loved exercise. Exercise has always been a joy to me. If I'm ever exercising, I'm not punishing myself. I'm not kicking myself. I'm not trying to like diet and binge and purge myself to get stronger or buffer or set some goal. I just love it. I exercise because I want to, not because I have to. That's an incredible gift. I mean, if, that, if you could give one gift to your kids, maybe reading beyond that, but to enjoy exercise, to enjoy even you know, perseverance and endurance is, is a really big deal. Because I've figured out pretty, pretty quickly, you know, playing football, playing basketball growing up, playing tennis, that's not, that's not the case. 90, you know, 99% of people in this world, and especially in America, see exercise as a punishment. And the ways that we create these New Year's goals, you know, in the New Year's is about I'm mad and angry at myself for being so fat, and so I'm going to go and punish myself. And I, you know, I, I, I don't, have, that's completely foreign to me, that idea. My, um, one of my good friends growing up, uh, he was a bit of a drinker in high school. So he drank every Friday and his dad was on him about it because he would come home and this and that. And every Saturday when he was drunk on Friday, he would wake him up in the morning and his punishment was to go and run uh, for like six miles every single time to like run his hangover off. And in the short term, it probably was a good idea. You know, it probably like, you know, got the blood flow going and got him out of his bed and so forth. But how many of you guys know he hates exercise? And so... Um, and so this is what, what, what you see, you know, you're reading through the pages of, of, of Paul, and you get this idea that rejoicing is, and joy um, is, not, is not a discipline, um, it's, it's, it's a get-to. The, the life that, that Paul is living, even in prison, even in chains, even, even at the face of death, is always about joy and never about, and never about anxiety and never about fear. And so, um, and, and so this, is, this is what we see in the life of Paul through the message of Paul um, is, that, is that joy is a choice. And joy is, is, is the truest thing uh, that there is. Let me grab my notes here and see, see where I'm at here. Um, yes, that's right. Is, is, this, is this understanding um, that, that life uh, is this gift and the giver is good and that everything that is coming into Paul's path, has gone through the hands of God, and it's all for a purpose, the purpose to advance the gospel. So the first thing I think I want to just speak to us as we're thinking about 2020 and 2021 is as you look back, you know, do you see 2020 as a gift or as a curse? I think that's the decision. I think that's an important decision. I think that the way that you would look into the past and look forward into the future to see life as a gift or as a curse would greatly impact the way you lean into it, the way you plan for it, the way you think about it. A lot of times I think your goals will, will really reflect one of those two things as you sit down and make goals, you know? There's a big difference, a mile of difference, I would argue, between a gift that's rooted in joy and a gift that's rooted in stress. A gift that's rooted in a get-to, you know, and a goal that's rooted in a have-to. And I wonder if our goals would tell us something if we sat down and wrote them. If we really do expect that life is a gift and the giver's good. If we expect that Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday has come to us to shape us in the gospel, if we expect that, that this thing is a gift, that even prison and chains and all these things that Paul's talking about or whatever it is that has, that, that's coming before you is, is, is coming as a gift or fundamentally as a curse. Number two, the second thing I think we can see 
is that, uh, that Paul is, doesn't treat joy and peace as something that's this like Pollyannic, running away from the truth and kind of glaring over some of the harder parts of life. In fact, uh, to Paul, joy is actually looking deeper into the reality of what is and finding truth deeper than that. So this is what he says in Ephesians, Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. It says, and this is my prayer. Watch this. He doesn't pray for, you know, Grandma Sue to have her broken bone healed. He prays for this. And this is really what he prays for most, most churches. It's not, you know, that we would just have protection and be safe and, and, and never, you know, cut our chin on the steps or never have any struggles, right? This is the kind of prayers that he prays. Paul, the Apostle Paul, no one has walked with, with, with Jesus with probably greater anointing or at least uh, more than him. And so in many of his letters, he starts off prayers like this, and this is his prayer. This is my prayer, he says, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight. What does Paul want for you and for me in 2020 more than anything? He wants us to know the truth because the truth can't be taken from us. And, uh, and, and uh, age can be taken from us, health can be taken from us, uh, but peace and joy cannot. And peace and joy are founded in truth. And so this is what he says. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge of depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I don't know if you guys have ever seen The Simpsons before. There's this character that lived next to Homer Simpson called Ned Flanders. You know this guy? And he was like this terrible representation of of a Christian. He'd be like, "Uh, great googly moogly and hello uh, neighbor uh, and bless you and, and the God is good all the time. You know, he was this like, bubbly, kind of neurotic um, neighbor for Homer Simpson and just kind of made Jesus look bad, I think, in the 90s, honestly. Um, and so um, I think that, uh, that because of that, you know, I think that there has been a swing in the church to, to avoid that kind of bubbliness and, and choose a more realistic picture of what faith would look like. And, and I think um, I definitely have been in plenty of youth group uh, worship sets that have gone on for 45 minutes that are dark and dreary and angsty. I don't think that's the solution either. Um, but I want to I confer to you here that, that Paul, the joy that he's soliciting here and talking about, is not a fake and shallow joy, it's a real joy. And that it's not optimistic, it's actually more realistic. And Paul believes that joy, joy in Jesus, is the truest possible thing that we could set our minds on and set our, uh, set our hearts on. And so um, this is what he's saying in, in Philippians 1, verses 9 through 11, and this is my prayer, that your love may, be, uh, may abound more and more in the knowledge and the depth of insight, not glaring over, not, not looking over, not avoiding and ignoring and escaping reality, but actually confronting reality with the gospel. Taking 2020 and demanding that the gospel will have the last word in it. 2020 could be a court case in that way, and all the evidence is put before you. And you, you examine the evidence, and you look at you know, what's gone on in your personal life, in, in public life, in corporate life, and so forth. And there might be a pretty strong case for why you shouldn't have joy or why you wouldn't have hope and make an excuse for why you don't think you should have joy. But Paul is saying if you were to look deeper, that the gospel will confront all of those things and demand there's a truer truth. Demand there's a truer truth than anxiety. Demand there's a truer truth than, than fear. Demand there's a truer truth than, um, than self-importance. That the gospel is demanding that it is the truest thing, that Christ is the truest thing that we can find. And that is why Paul prays that we would find that thing. Um, my Uncle Peter uh, I've told you guys about uh, my Uncle Peter before. He's a mentor of mine and had meant, has meant so much to me over the years. And um, Uncle Peter was uh, diagnosed with glaucoma at 14. Um, he lost his eyesight. And in coming to kind of like a boy's home thing, uh, a caretaker place, you know, for the handicap, he, um, he found Jesus in Hong Kong, which is a very rare thing and, and extends 
you know, the mercy and the grace of God and the sovereignty of God's grace, I think, and shows that. And so Uncle Peter um, went on to be a missionary himself. He, first of all, made a bunch of money uh, at Microsoft making uh, programs for blind people and retired at age 40 with a couple million dollars, I think, in his bank. I don't know. I never asked him. Never spent any of it. I'm sure his house didn't have any furniture in it at all uh, and, and didn't spend it on, on anything else. And so uh, he went on and started a rainbow mission. He started a, a mission in China for orphans. And, um, and it, it makes a very strong, I think, um, imprint on a young man at 14 or 15 to see somebody, you know, that in some ways has everything and in other ways treats himself like he has nothing except for the gospel of Jesus and is hungry to see the gospel of Jesus extend and, and is, is, is ambitious even at 40 to weigh out the treasures in the field and sell everything and not hold anything back in order to make the gospel his key and prime treasure. And even in the late, I think, 50s, he went through some personal troubles. And even in the last couple of years, in 50s and 60s, he, um, I've never shared this story before, but um, because of personal things um, that the, the board, you know, not because of personal things that he caused, but personal things that happened around him, the board actually dropped him from his own mission. And so here he is now, he's 50, and, and, and back when the uh, Rainbow Mission kind of um, let him go. And he decides that, Jesus has not done working in him yet, and the gospel is still profoundly important to him. And then he goes and starts right now like a, 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 a care group for blind people in the COVID season. And so there's this, just this, this, this kind of uh, relentless confrontation with not just, you know, Ned Flanders, bubbly, great googly moogly, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and moving on with things, optimism, but a sense of grit, a joyful grit of confronting reality with the gospel of Jesus. And so this would be my intentional question to you, moving into this last point. It'll be on the screen, but maybe you'd consider this as you kind of gather your goals and gather your thoughts from the year. How will you confront 2020 with the gospel? This is what uh, Paul says in Philippians 4, verses 8 through 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Do you see how active that is? Do you see the decision of what television channel in your mind Paul thinks you have, the authority that you have over your thoughts and how important those thoughts are that he would open his letter with the prayer, not for your arm to get better or your cancer to go, but for your mind to know the truth. Paul seems to think that a person that knows the truth and has the truth in their heart and in their mind and is meditated on daily is a powerful person indeed and a free person indeed. And he is saying that we have a decision to make. And so I want to invite you, I mean, I would have brought it up here, but I'm almost through my first prayer book, you know, these little prayer journals. And, um, and, and I've brought those things, you know, here to City Lights um, as something that I don't intend on, on letting go of. Um, I think that if even four of us were to do those prayer journals, uh, we as a church would all be richer for it because I think that a mind that is meditated on Christ is a healthy mind. And a mind that's not um, is, an, is, is incapacitatedly un unhealthy. And so Paul seems to think that one of the most important things that you can do is not fix your, fix your heart and your, and, your, and your mind on what you wish could be or what you hope would be, but on what is and what is true. And so, so I want to I propose to you again that that joy is not just something that is true, but something that is practiced and something that is decided and not just something that happens at the end of 2020, but as James would say, don't let the sun go down on your anger. 
or on your anxiety or on your angst or on your worry. And how you close up your day and how you close up your weeks and how you close up your months will deeply impact how you open the next ones. And so your mind, if you were to keep you, if, 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 if you're the type of person that wouldn't leave your house until your bed is made, if you're the type of person that wouldn't stand to have your grass uncut for more than a week, man, don't have your mind without the meditation of the scriptures on it every day. Because he is saying that joy is a choice and the choice for joy is an exercise. It is a practice. And he says, practice this thing with me. There it is. At the end of verse nine, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Meditation in Eastern religion is to exit the mind and to, to escape reality. The gospel is not escaping. The gospel is advancing into, the, into reality and demanding that reality and demanding that 2020 answer to the gospel. It is truer than any truth that you know. And so, so Paul is saying, this is how you can be content in every season, abased or abound to have much or have little, is to meditate on what is true. And that is so significant. It'd be the most important dietary decision that you would make in 2020. And so this is what we have, and I'll put them up on the screen for those of you guys that don't have the five bucks, I guess, right now to pick one up. But these are the three questions that I ask myself every day, and I would love for you to ask yourself as well. First of all, what are you grateful for? Listen, there's a difference between gratefulness and, and thankfulness because gratefulness insists, insists that what you have is not earned, it's a gift. And that question is a powerful question. You remember the 10 lepers that went away and only one returned? And Jesus asked what happened to the other nine. And, and, and that leper that returned was the one that found salvation, right? Because not every gift that gets opened gets identified with the giver. And, and most, of, most of the vision that you need for faith into the future happens in the soil of gratitude. And it happens in this place of understanding. I didn't receive the last gift because I went and got it. And I'm not going to receive the next gift because I go and fight for it. So what happens when we enter our mornings and our years and our months with a sense of gratitude? It puts our hands like this. I don't feel my own hands, he does. So it's imperative that we begin, we begin our mornings understanding that we are small and he is big and we're the child and he's the father and it's never the other way around. And so what are you grateful for and demand? You know, think, think on these things, he would say. What is the truth that you can trust? We're not just reading for Bible sword drills. We're looking for something that we know won't change or perish or fade. Man, there's so much stuff in this world that will not be the same. I promise you, your Christmas will not look the same next year. Somebody will be missing. Something will be different. But the gospel will remain. Man, that we put our feet on that thing. We gotta put our feet on truth. We can't, we can't mix up our joy and put our joy somewhere where it doesn't belong, where it's gonna be a shaking sand. Because we, goodness, we've seen 2020 shake everything except for what's true. What will be true in 2020 and in 2021? You need to know that. You need to be holding on to it. And lastly, man, if you know what's most important, you always know what to do. This is the difference, I think, between you know, the wise and the foolish builder, right? It's not just hearing the word of God, but doing something about it. Both the fool and the wise person hear something, but only the wise person does something about it. If you know what's most important, you'll know what's to do next. And when you do the next thing, you'll know what's most important next. And the secret to, to leadership and the secret to growth and the secret to, to joy is there are so many things to do, right? That's the distraction, especially in a, in a world where we live in an information age. There's so many things to do. The, the, the difference between the fool and the wise one knows what's most important to do. There's plenty of things to waste your time on. There's plenty of things to be frivolous about. You gotta get out of bed knowing what's important because somebody else will tell you what's important. And if you don't have your values aligned and set up of what you're gonna do for the day, somebody else will do it for you. And it probably won't be Jesus. And it probably won't be because of joy. So make that decision early in the morning, early in the year. What am I grateful for? This is, a, this is a gift that's not a paycheck. What's true? What's never gonna change? What's never gonna fade? I don't wanna put my feet or my children's feet on anything less than that. What's important? There's so many good things to do, but what is he having me do right now? What's most important?
And so joy is a practice. It's something that we get better at. This is what Paul is doing. He's showing us and explaining to us at the end of Philippians 4, verses 10 through 13. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. He's talking about this gift that Epaphrodites brought him in prison. He's saying, I'm so thankful for that gift. Uh, but listen, I don't want you to be concerned with me. He says, listen, I, I want you to know that I'm thankful, but I'm, I'm not saying this because I have need. He says, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance. If you brought the gift or if you didn't bring the gift, I'm still grateful. If you brought the gift or didn't bring the gift, it's still true. If you brought the gift or didn't bring the gift, it's still the gospel. And my flesh is still being used to exalt Christ. So I win if you come or if you go. I win if I live or if I die. And I'm freer than anyone else on the outside because joy is my portion. And I made a decision ahead of time in 20 and 21 and 22 to be joyful and to be rooted. So this gift has nothing to do with my joy. Thank you for it, but I'm already joyful. This is what he wants you to know. This is what he needs you to know. This is what he's modeling for you, lest you make an excuse for why you deserve to be anxious next year. There's no excuse. If Paul has joy in prison, so can you in Greenville in 2021. This is what he's demanding. I have it in need and I have it in plenty. I've learned the secret of being content. And in every other situation, whether fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Look at what he says at the very end. It's a practice. And in this example, he invites us to observe him, but also follow him. And not just, not just watch, but he says, join in my suffering. This is good for you to do it. It's good for you, actually, that you gave the gift to join in my suffering. Because look what he says in the very beginning of that passage. It's not a light bulb. He says, I've learned it. I've learned it over days and weeks and months, and it doesn't come like a light bulb. It's not just a switch. It's not just one prayer. It's the daily rhythms, the daily, weekly. What are you going to do, not just in the first day, but in the daily and the weekly and the monthly rhythms with your spouse? Are you going to be a family that has private Christianity or corporate Christianity? Is, is your family the first church? Is your community the first church? And, and, and it's not just what you're thinking about. It's what you're saying and what you're doing, right? This is what we know from, uh, from being a teacher. It's not, it's not what we're hearing that we remember. It's what we're saying. So I want to challenge you. Probably the secret to sharing the gospel more in 21 with strangers is sharing the gospel with your friends. One of the best ways, I think, that you can be an evangelist right where you are is journal out what God is saying to you in the morning and tell somebody else. Just tell them. Man, it's going to encourage your day and encourage their day by just telling them, what did you read? And I promise you, we have a thing called Think, Pair, Share, and it's the only thing that really works in, in public school, right? You just get the kids to share it because people don't remember what they hear. They remember what they say. And you need to say things. You can't just think about them. So tell your spouse, and that's going to get you ready for when you're going to preach it to somebody else. So, so this is what it is. It's a practice. It's not, it's not just a light bulb. It's learned. It's, it's over time. Lastly, this is the last thing that I need to say before we kind of wind things up here, but um, it's significant and imperative as, as you think about closing up 2020 and 2021 and having joy, closing, closing in joy and opening in joy, opening in peace. Um, we'll never have joy until the goal is the gospel. So Paul says he's got a goal. He even calls it salvation. He acts like he doesn't have it. He's going, I'm going to stress on forward to the goal because I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to anticipate or expect that I have something that I don't have. He said, I'm pressing forward and not looking behind and expecting anything. And I call all my flesh and my degrees and my aptitude and my intelligence, I call it all as rubbish, except for the gospel, except for Christ exalted in my body. This is what he's saying. And so, so part of this whole, I can do all things through Christ is not for you to score touchdowns, right? Like it's to advance the gospel. And, and here's the reality. The gospel won in 2020. I don't care what party won. The gospel won in 2020. And you either resisted that or you advanced into that. 
but he'll use you either way. He'll use you as the friend or the enemy to show off his gospel. So how you win every game is depending on what team you're on. You're not promised to do all things to reach all your goals. You're promised to reach his goal, and his goal is the gospel, that his gospel would advance, that you would be put in a position either high or low to show off the gospel. Why? Because if I'm blessed, it means that he's been good to me. Gospel. If I'm abased, it means that he's sufficient for me. Gospel. You win either way. You see it? That's where the joy is. So the goal, the goal is not just to set your New Year's resolutions for six-pack six pack abs. It's to see the gospel advance. And your joy is dependent on that because if you set a goal opposite of his agenda, it will never succeed, right? So, so this is where we can find, we need to find the alignment. And so it needs to be a, a cautionary there, an asterisk mark. This is not an open-ended invitation to just do whatever you want in Jesus' name. It's to advance the gospel. It's to see Christ exalted in my flesh is what Paul says. So the good news is, and the reason why we can rejoice, is because the gospel won in 2020. And whether you were fed or hungry in 2020 or plenty and in want in 2020, or whether you have been exalted and, and given a promotion and a pedestal, or whether you've been rightfully or unrightfully demoted in different places and stations of life, the gospel has advanced. And there it is. We have much room to celebrate and much room to um, rejoice in. And so rejoicing is not an option, it's a command. And he wouldn't command you to do it if you weren't able to do it. Rejoicing is a choice. It's an option. And you have a year in front of you, and what happens in the year in front of you greatly is impacted by how you close up the year behind you. And so he wouldn't ask you to take a step that he isn't anointing right now. And I want to encourage you to fight for joy and fight for rejoicing. It's important. It's important for your neighbor and for your family and for your friends and for your future that you close up this year with a note of rejoicing. That the gospel is won this year and it's advancing you and you're closer to him than you've ever been before. And you know him more than you've ever been before. And we, are, we should count it a joy to suffer all kinds of trials and persecution because to suffer is to be with Christ and to suffer is to be for Christ and to suffer is, is part of being with Christ. So we have much to rejoice in and much to celebrate. And so name that thing, man. And tell somebody else about that because it's important that somebody else hears your letter and hears your, your sermon in the, in, in the prison. That somebody else sees Christ exalted in your life, whether you were lifted high or, or put down low. It's, it's important that somebody else would hear, hear your message to hear the gospel incarnated through your life the way that it was through Paul's. All right, I'm gonna invite the, the band come forward and, and to, to practice what Paul is preaching here. I wanna invite you guys uh, just even to do right here what we're talking about to, uh, everybody's got a cell phone, right? I, I don't want to assume that everybody does. Uh, but um, this is what I want you to do. Um, we're leading towards a prayer moment. You're going to pick a partner right now, and you're going to pray with somebody, so be ready for that. But uh, the way that we're going to go about this thing is, I want you to find a picture that represents joy to you in your phone. And this is why it's important. It's important to name it. It's important to see the gift and open the gift and remember the gift, because heaven knows there's plenty of things that are trying to invade your mind. And take captive your thoughts and your imagination. So, so Paul would say, make all your thoughts obey Christ. And how you do that is to rejoice in the gospel extended. So I want you to find that picture. And there's probably a reason why there's joy there. There's probably a reason why it doesn't have anything to do with money. It has nothing to do with, with personal performance. It has nothing to do with something you earned. But it probably has something to do with something that's priceless and eternal. So I want you to find that picture. Go through your phone even right now. That's fine. The band will kind of play. And I just want you to share it with somebody. Tell them why you're grateful. And whatever comes to mind, what's true about that picture to you? What, 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 
does it tell you about the scripture? What does it tell you about God's nature? What does it tell you about the character of God? What does it tell you about the gospel? What's true about it? And before we worship, we're just going to do a quick little prayer with somebody next to you, thanking him. The way we close up the year, the way we reflect on these past pictures, deeply impacts the next pictures that will end up in our phone. Deeply impacts the way. Gratitude is the soil for faith. And, and, And the way that we can steward our eyes and our heart towards faith and not fear is to, is to rest in gratitude. So I'm going to pray for us, and I want you to guys kind of look at your phones there, and, and um, these guys will lead us in some music in just a moment to close up. But I'm excited to be mighty in him and, and to boast in him. He is, he is so victorious. He is so sufficient. He is so complete in his confrontation of the lies of 2020. He sent angels on your behalf. He's protected you from things you didn't even know. And yet, he's still not done working. And he's using fools like you and me to bring about eternity, to rescue captive souls and advance his gospel in this time. Your family, your neighbors. How did he do that? How and why would he do that through somebody like us? Except because he's good. Except because he has grace. Visit us, Holy Spirit. Do not let us be the fool who looks in the mirror and looks in our phone and turns away unchanged. Lord, but change us. Ready us, Lord. Give us a gritty faith, a hearty faith, a hearty joy. Thank you for the perseverance of the, of the saints. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for your completion of the task of the Holy Spirit to visit us and change us. And I pray that you would make us mighty in your hands and aggressively joyful, persistently joyful, Thank you for the prayers that are going to go up and rise up before you because they're real, man. Because they're not fake and they're not platitudes because they're real. And thank you for the real gospel. So for these phones and for the conversations and the prayer and for the worship that will follow, we thank you that they represent a faith looking backwards and therefore a faith looking forwards. We thank you and trust you with this year for the things we care about most because we're trustworthy in Jesus' name. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.